John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. And yes, this week it was my young middle-aged wife's birthday. No lightning? Okay. But uh, I'm not going to say her age. You'll have to ask her. Okay. Make sure you are carrying if you do. All right. All right. John chapter 19 and verses 25 through 27. As we look at the third saying from the cross. Now, there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleopas, and Mary Magdalene. Now, when Jesus, therefore, saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her unto his own home. Well, let's have a word of prayer. Father, <clears throat> we ask that you bless this message in a very special way. I ask for your good hand to be upon me, but I especially ask that thy spirit will just move into the heart of everyone under the sound of my voice and give them understanding far beyond what I'm able to say this morning. And then I pray that you'd use that to work in the hearts, to strengthen them in Christ. If there is one here without Christ today as their Lord, I pray that they'd receive him as Lord and Savior in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Now this is the third saying from the cross. And so this morning, instead of focusing the whole time on this third saying from the cross, I want to look at uh, the relationship of those people that are at the cross. And perhaps you can identify with uh, one of those that are there because they are interesting and unique people. Uh, we have four women and one man at the cross. We'll later find out in Luke chapter 23, verse 49, that they are standing afar off. I believe that uh, they were the soldiers forced them to leave, asked them to leave. There comes a point in the crucifixion they had to walk away. I believe they were asked to leave. And so they are dispersed, but they don't leave altogether. They're watching at a distance. They stay there through it all. Uh, and it's interesting. The disciples had been dispersed. They didn't come back except one. But the ladies, they remain there. So often, more women are in the church than men get involved. The men think, ah, oh, sissified men get involved in the church. They're sissies. Read Fox's Book of Martyrs one time and find out if this is a sissy thing. You might find out that... Uh, you're not what you think you are. And you will find there that men, they did stand and it cost them their life. In other cases, there were men that let the women suffer instead. And that's been a problem throughout church history, I believe. As a matter of fact, uh, in 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, verse 13, 
We see that it was a problem in Bible days. There it says, watch ye. Now the word watch has the idea of somebody that stands a watch, you know, at night. They're looking for the the enemy to come in. They're looking for something to creep in or try to sneak in. And that's what we are to do as men. We watch. We make sure that the devil and his ways do not sneak into our homes, does not sneak into our churches. We've ever got to be on guard because the culture, the world will try to sneak in and change the holiness of God and corrupt the church. And so he says, watch ye, stand fast in the faith. Now, that's the command for the local church. That's the command for all of us. Stand fast in the faith, not in the culture. The culture doesn't determine our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is built on the Word of God. Stand fast in the faith. There is no part of God's Word that must be compromised for today's society. Society is not calling the Bible to repent. The Bible is calling society to repent. And that's where we stand today. So he says, watch you, stand fast in the faith. Quit you like men. You know what that simply means? Come on, be a man. Stand up. Don't run and hide behind mama's uh, skirt. Be a man. That's what he's saying. Be a man. Stand. And he ends it up with, be strong. Don't cower. Don't quit. Don't run. Be strong. Stand firm. And if you're standing firm on the word of God, if you're standing fast in the faith, you have no reason to run. We live in a country that at one time, the Bible was read in the public schools and we had prayer. I know because I went to public school when they had the Bible and they had prayer. You could watch television, and you would never hear cussing on it. Not one cuss word. Isn't that interesting? Actors had to know how to entertain you and keep your attention without cussing and turning to everything filthy and vile. See, uh, the art of acting has gone down in today's society, so that's why they have to turn to those things. They have to shock you because they, have, they lack the ability to entertain you. And so we have a society that in that day, there was no cussing on television. You didn't cuss in front of ladies if you were a man. Churches were reverent instead of rock concerts and motivational speakers. And if you are tired of a drug-crazed, gender-crazed, homosexual-promoting society that has lost all sense of morality and right and have turned to a pornographic style of life to try to make it normal, if you're tired of that, then you need to be willing to stand, to speak up, to pay a price, and quit waiting on the women to do the work that God gave you as men to do. Men, first you need to take the responsibility of your home. And please don't come up to me and say, well, my wife won't let me do that. There's your problem. Okay. Quit you. Be like a man. Stand up. Lead your home spiritually. That's what God has given you to do, to be the spiritual leader of your home. 
Now, praise God for John here in our text. At least one man, though he ran, he came back. As a result, Jesus is able to use him. The others missed out. Some people will never forgive when someone comes back in repentance to make things right. But God will. He restores. Instead of holding grudges, God not only restores him, but he is called the disciple whom Jesus loved. What a special designation. The other ten, they ran at the sign of the greatest danger. They feared for their lives. John comes back. He comes back to where they're actually doing the crucifixion. Isn't it interesting? John's the only man to come back. And the disciple that lives the longest by about 20 years is John. He outlives them all. I find that quite interesting that uh, he was willing to, okay, if, if, if it kills me, it'll kill me, but I'm going to be there. This tells us that the cross is a leveling ground. Look, all have sinned. All have come short of the glory of God. All need to come to the cross for salvation. Just like these people. We have Mary, the mother of Jesus. She was actually a poor girl when she was chosen. But she is blessed among women. However, we find in Luke 147, it says that she prays and she calls him God, my Savior. Now, there's a false doctrine that thinks that Mary was sinless. No, she wasn't, or she wouldn't have, she wouldn't have needed a Savior, but she needed a Savior. And she called him God, my Savior. Mary Magdalene, she had seven devils, the Bible tells us. But God saved that old reprobate. And what God has cleansed, you don't call it common or unclean. I believe that seven demons shows she was very involved in witchcraft. Now, I've read others. Some say that she was the, the, the slut woman who would give herself freely to men with no committed love to a husband. Others said that she was a harlot. I don't care what it was they say about her. Regardless, she repents. She makes things right with God. She makes right things right with people. And my friend, you can no longer call her common or unclean. God has blessed her. And when Jesus does the work on somebody, he does a complete job and he forgives her fully and completely. Then there's Mary, the wife of Cleopas. She seems a very quietly industrious woman with two sons, James the Less and Jude. Another woman, she could probably, that's there, could probably feel like a nobody. I mean, we, we don't even get her name, it just says Mary's sister. Now, the mother of Jesus, it's, it, it's her sister. 
But that's the way she's identified as Mary's sister. Not even given much of an identification. I remember when I was first pastoring a church, it was up in Cantonment. And Tennessee Temple College, Dr. Lee Robertson uh, was traveling there, and, and he had a group of his men in there. And he had an advanced man he sent in, and that advanced man went around visiting all the independent Baptist churches, come visit me. And uh, I told him, my name. he said, is your dad Jesse Bloom? I said, yeah. He said, he is. Yeah, I went to college with him, you know. And they got to talk, got talking with him there. And he, he was telling me about the meeting down at Brother Julian's church. And, and so he says, man, I want you to come on down there. Well, I knew Brother Julian quite well and several of those pastors. Well, we get there to the pastor's uh, meeting there and, and all the churches there. And he says, I want all the pastors in here to stand up. They all stand up. All the pastors stand up. And, and, and the, the, the man starts introducing each pastor. I was impressed with that. He, he didn't have anything written down in front of him. He just did it by calling their names out. And I just met him that one time. But he, he said, this is so-and-so. He pastors a church over such and such a place. And then he said, this is so-and-so. And he got to me and he says, Dr. Robertson, this is Jesse Bloom's son. He pastors up in Canton, but, but this is Jesse Bloom's son. And then he went on to the next guy. But hey, it got me recognized, I guess, you know. I'm Jesse Bloom's son. All right. Then when my son was playing football, I was Jesse Bloom's dad. I've never had an identity in my life, okay? <laughs> These ladies took nothing for granted. They didn't feel like that they were entitled. Mary is Jesus' mother. But boy, she had a special event in her life when Gabriel, the angel, a high-ranking archangel, appears to her. After the resurrection, Jesus will first appear to Mary Magdalene. She comes to the tomb first, not the disciples. Mary's sister... I believe that she is much like her sister Mary, the mother of Jesus. As a matter of fact, I think all the ladies are like the mother of Jesus Mary in that they heard Jesus and they pondered these things in their heart. They knew what it was to meditate on the things of God and on His Word, and it gave them courage to stand when the men would not because they believed God. They believed His Word, and they stood. Mary, the wife of Cleopas, has two sons. Those two sons, Jude and James the Less, guess what? They fled from the garden. They took off. They ran. They got out of there. She doesn't go to her sons. Instead, she sticks close to the Lord. A mother is the best mother when God is truly first in her life, even before her children. Always. Jesus is on the cross for them. They come to stand for Jesus, to be there for him. Do you realize your witness 
inviting others to church and, and being in church and being faithful to the services. Do you realize that just like those ladies, I mean, what could they do? They couldn't kill the soldiers and, and take them off. They couldn't do any of that. But they, they're there as an encouragement. They're there for Jesus. One of the ways that you are doing something for Jesus is that when you are faithful and you're an encouragement to others to stand, your life can show the difference that the, of the peace and joy that God gives regardless of the circumstances surrounding you. Because Mary, the wife of Cleopas, is faithful, her sons now have an example of faithfulness. They both are apostles. And the next time they don't run, Jude is reportedly killed with swords, or with arrows, should I say. James is crucified, and then he's cut in pieces. I find it interesting because there were crowds, 5,000, 4,000. I mean, there are crowds that were there for the miracles and the healing and the feeding of the people. And sometimes we can have a crowd for special days and on the Sundays and mornings and so forth, and, and, and people will be there. It's a big day. But these women are faithful when it's not a big day. As far as man is concerned. In season, out of season, they are faithful. We praise God. We praise God for those that, when a church goes through problems, and, and every church will. And, 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 and they're, they're attacking the church. They're attacking the pastor. They're attacking something about the church. And, and people will attack some from within, some from without. And they'll attack and they'll say all things about it. And today's society, especially when you have the Facebook and everything else that uh, for some reason other justifies gossip. But, uh, you know, people get on that. But then there are those that have stayed by the stuff. They've stood when it was t tough. God bless those people. God bless those people. Those are the kind that you would see at the cross, not those that turn tail and run. Christ could have called 12 legions of angels, but he's faithful to us on the cross. In order to pay our debt, he stays faithful. I wonder, why is convenience more important to us in the service of the Lord than sacrificial faithfulness that is built on love for Jesus Christ. A sacrificial joy, a sacrificial life, a sacrificial service that finds its joy in being true to the Savior and having communion with Him. I'm, frankly, I'm, I'm tired of the entitlement philosophy. Now, a lot of people associate that with millennials. I, I think it goes across all age groups, to be quite honest with you. Although I was talking with uh, uh, 
whatever his name is back there that teaches our Sunday school class is. But anyway, <laughs> I was, we were walking across the parking lot talking, and, and uh, we, we, we were talking about prophecy and things like that. And I says, are you an all millennialist? <laughs> you know, of course, no. I said, I'm getting that way. I'm about against every millennial I see anymore, you know, <laughs> just joking around. And I was just joking, but what I am saying is this. I am against an entitlement philosophy. I am against an entitlement philosophy that is out there today that tells others, look, <clears throat> I've been to college. But I've been to the latest college. I went to a college later than you did. So I know so much more. And you need to just do what we tell you to do and do it the way we say it because we know so much better. Uh, they thought we'd been doing it our way instead of the way the Bible and the Holy Spirit tells us. See, they, they, they already start off wrong. Now look, you may think you have a better idea. But one thing I found that is that entitlement philosophy people cannot be servants of God. And they'll run just like those ten sissified men who fled in the garden. They need to grow in the grace and in the knowledge and in the power of God. To be what he has called us to be. And by the way, no Christian college, nor marketing firm, has a better idea in today's society than the Word of God. Don't expect to be served and honored. Because you're in church or you get involved in the service of the Lord. Our faith is found in Romans 8.18. That whatever sufferings are of this present time, they're not even worthy to be compared. They'll seem so minute to the glory that shall be revealed in us when we get to be with the Lord. Look, I'm not looking for my reward now. I'm looking for it in heaven. I look at all these other things that happen as blessings. Great. Praise the Lord for them. But really... The greater blessings are in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, other people lived it, other people suffered, other people paid the price. Seeing we are so uh, surrounded with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us. Isn't it interesting there people say, Christians don't have habitual sin? He said the sin that so easily besets us. Christians do have habitual sins. Most of you, I hope most of you, believe that it's wrong to smoke. Most of you believe that it's wrong to drink. But there are Christians that smoke and drink. There are Christians that cuss. Most of you know that that is a sin. If they have a habit of doing that, they have a habitual sin. Now, you either believe God or you don't. But he's given us a new nature that does not sin. But trouble is, we have that old nature and we give into it too often and too much. But he says, The sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Not to the pastor, not to your favorite college, not to your favorite marketing firm. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. 
<laughs> he saw heaven. That's what was set before him. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He didn't love the shame of the cross. He despised it. But he saw the joy ahead. And is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. It's finished, and now the work is ready to move on. Faith must show it is real by being willing to suffer now because you have a solid belief in God's promises of then. Do you have that faith? How did these disciples later die for the Lord that they had forsook and fled from in the garden? Because they believed the promise. They were convinced by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. By the way, because they were convinced by that, they paid the penalty. But Jesus told Thomas, blessed are they which have not seen and yet believe. That means you're even willing to lay your life on the line for the Lord Jesus Christ. Like Mary Magdalene, here's a lady that no parent would want their child around. Their church says, hey, I got on Facebook. You seen what this lady was? Well, she became highly blessed and used of God. And Jesus never rejects anyone who comes to him in repentance and faith. Now, others may. Others may. But those others can't forgive you or save you. You see, only Jesus can do that. Just think of Mary Magdalene if she'd lived back, if they had the day, if they had Facebook back in her day. Jesus would have had to work overtime just to get those people straightened out. Now consider the utterances from the cross here quickly. Woman, behold thy son. He still loves and, and is concerned for his mother. He doesn't call her mother. Instead, he says woman. But Mary finds that the salvation relationship is much better than the family relationship. And I can imagine as a mother, she's standing there at the foot of the cross, and she sees that thorn-crowned brow, that broken and bleeding body. And her compassion and her tears and everything, just wants to give him a hug, you know, as they say. She wants to try to kiss the pain away, and she can't. But Jesus sees the constancy of a mother's love. And suddenly he's there for her. She knows she can do nothing to stop it. So she speaks up and says, John's your son now. Woman, behold thy son. Now, that's interesting because her husband Joseph is now dead in paradise with the Lord. When that happened, it became the eldest son's responsibility to make sure that mom was taken care of. But he's dying on the cross, so what's he going to do now? Let the next brother in line, his half-brother, his oldest half-brother take, take her? No. He wants somebody that's saved to take her. He wants somebody that's saved. He loves his mother. He knows that John, if John will come back, None of his brothers are there. If John will come back at the dangerous time of the crucifixion, he will take care of his mother. 
So Jesus provided for his mother, giving her John instead of the half-brother. But as good as that provision is for her, as much as it is an act of love, it's the heavenly home that he's gone to prepare for her that will far exceed anything he left her with. Jesus left nothing undone for her. And he's left nothing undone for you and me in providing a way of salvation. He's provided the way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. John comes back to the cross for Jesus. He fled at first, but now he comes back. And so Jesus says to him, Behold thy mother. Yes, John had a great fall, but he got back up. A righteous man falling seven times, the book of Proverbs tells us, gets up again. And so Jesus trusted him with what was important to Jesus. Are there holy things of God that he can trust me with? That's a question we each have to contemplate. Jesus loves you with the same love that he had for his earthly mother and for his heavenly father. He has that for you. I want to tell this story in closing. Many years ago, a lady had an accident and she would never be able to use her left hand again. Can you imagine ladies back in that day when you didn't have all the electrical things of peeling a potato with only one hand? And she had a hard time doing all the things that she did before. But that wasn't the worst of it for her. She had a daughter that was deaf. Sign language was just kind of getting started and hadn't reached where she was yet. And so she tried to teach her daughter to talk. And when something good and nice would happen to the daughter, she'd come in, she was all excited, and she'd try to talk to her mother, and her mother would try to figure it out. And they both would end up sitting on the sofa, hugging each other and crying. But then, somebody introduced them to sign language. Boy, I tell you what, that mother got on it. And she learned sign language. She did it so very well. I, I, I really appreciate people who can sign the sermons. Especially when I say on the omnipotence and omniscience of Christ we're preaching today. And uh, they just kind of roll their eyes. But uh, what I find is interesting, though, is that in that case, this lady learned everything so she could communicate with her daughter. But, guess what? Her daughter had to learn sign language too. And the only way they could have that communion is that both of them do sign language. Jesus died for us. Acts 20, 21. Repentance towards God. Our sin has separated us from God. And faith 
toward our Lord Jesus Christ, believing that his shed blood, his dying body on the cross, shedding his blood for us, paid for every sin we ever would, would ever have or ever will commit, that he was buried, and that three days later he rose up bodily from the grave. He did that for us. He paid our penalty. He could have called 12 legions of angels, but he wouldn't do that because he loves us. And he wanted to have communion with us for eternity. That's why it says, Him that come to me, I'll in no wise cast out. Yes, he paid the penalty, but just as that little girl also had to learn sign language, we have to receive the payment of Jesus Christ, accepting him as Lord and God, as our Savior. And my friend, he will never reject you if you'll come to him. The song, and perhaps we'll sing that in just a moment, just as I am without one plea. That's how you come to him. Come just as you are. You don't have to get good. You know that lady didn't have to learn how to uh, get her hand back in order to do sign language. She could still do sign language with one hand. That little girl, she didn't have to get her hearing back to learn sign language. You don't have to get to a certain point in order to get saved. Just realize you're a sinner and you need a Savior, and He'll save you. I hope you'll do that today. Let's bow our heads, please.